0: You're listening to the Gospel of Mark, a series preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Alright, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. Last week we were in Mark 10 in the midst of a story that took place as Jesus led his disciples toward Jerusalem for the final time. And as we were leaving last Sunday, John Masturani stopped me, and we were talking for a little while, and he said, well, you didn't get to like, what the problem was, and I said, yeah, you're right. Um, next week, you should not come to the service if you're proud. And he said, but those are the people that need to come. <laughs> and so I am so thankful that you all are here. <laughs> but he is not. <laughs> Uh, This evening, Mark is going to reveal the heart of the disciples to us. We are going to be shocked to find that their hearts sort of, kind of, almost exactly resemble ours. Because they do. The truth is, it's really easy for us to look at the disciples and to see some of the foolish things they did and think, man, they are so terrible. But as we read, keep this in mind. Jesus did not... Ensure that this story was recorded so that we could sit back and gawk and giggle at the foolishness of the disciples. The goal is not for us to just look at their sin and think, how could they do that? The goal is for us to see if just maybe there's something in there for us. Maybe in some ways we are the same as they were. And so what I want to do is just begin reading back at Mark chapter 10, verse 32, because that will give us the context. We studied the first Five verses of this last week, um, but I think this will help us. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen to him, saying, Behold, We go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him saying, Master, we would that you should do... For us, whatsoever we desire. And he said to them, Are you serious right now? What is wrong with you? Did you not listen to a single word that I just said? That's how I would have responded. (laughs) That's how I often respond to my kids. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that in a bit. This is Jesus' response, right? What would you that I should do for you? And this kindness of Jesus responding to them reminds me that another person's foolishness does not give me the right to respond in anger. Right? And this, I'm not kidding now, this I think is a really important lesson as a dad and probably as a mom too. And it's probably really an important lesson for all of us if we ever have relationships with anybody else in this world. Because people are going to do things and say things that are foolish at times. They're not always going to respond or act the right way. So the question is not, does their action justify me responding in kind? What we're supposed to do is, how would Jesus want me to respond in this situation? And I think we can tell how Jesus does respond. They say something very foolish and selfish and and prideful. And Jesus' response is, tell me what it is. What, What would you like me to do for you? So let us stop vindicating ourselves, justifying our own actions, and just try and do what children of God ought to do. Verse 37. They said to him, so here's the request that they have. Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand, and the other on thy left hand, in glory. So yeah, you heard that right. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is staring down the barrel of a very painful gun. And James and John ignore this gruesome prophecy of his coming death completely because they want to discuss seating arrangements in his kingdom. So the king of kings is telling poor sinful fishermen that he will be humiliated and put to death by crucifixion. And these poor sinful fishermen fishermen are saying, Jesus, do you think you could exalt us and enthrone us? I'm not even concerned about what you just said about this death that's coming and then you rising again. Let's not even discuss that. My question is, can I sit on your right hand and your left hand? And, and this is what's what's more embarrassing. Because um, Mark is almost kind to them in that he leaves out a little detail that Matthew records. And that detail is is that it's actually James and John and their mother that are co- that's coming to make this response. And so here, Jesus actually interacts with James and John, but it's the mom leading the charge, coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, Jesus, these are my boys. They're good boys. Do you think you could give them the right-hand and left-hand seat in your kingdom? I mean... I don't know, James and John are there, they're a part of this conversation, they're not willing to ask Jesus directly so they get their mom to do it. I feel like that's embarrassing. It makes it look worse for them. And it's hard to look worse than this, right? And so, I guess if you want to find the positive, because there's a positive in everything, right? If you want to find the positive, at least they believe that Jesus is going to be king. And they just wanted a king that they could control. A king that they could make sure that, You know, his kingdom would come. It would come soon that they would have the right seats when it did come. But they did have faith. They wanted no suffering. They wanted only exaltation. And so here in verse 38, we find Jesus respond. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can and Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with, withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And so Jesus here speaks of a cup. This is the cup of bitter suffering and death. And to drink this cup means to accept to embrace, and then to endure through it. And that is what is ahead for Jesus. Bitter suffering and death, and Jesus will willingly take that cup. And the question that he has for them is, are you ready to endure what I have to endure? Are you ready to suffer and die like me? See, they wanted position, but they didn't consider any pain involved. Augustine said it this way. He said, "They sought the exaltation, but did not see the step. And the step here, namely, is the baptism of suffering. The word baptism is used here because it means immersion, that they would be immersed and Jesus would be immersed in this suffering and then death he would endure. And he asked them, "Can you do it? And they say, yes, because they believe they can. And the irony here is that at this moment They can't and they won't. And Jesus knows this. See, very soon after this, and right, Jesus is saying, Do you have the courage? Are you willing to go through this death that I am going to go through? And they think they can because in Matthew 26, 35, Peter said unto them, Though I should die with you, though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. So they all believe that they're ready and willing to die with Jesus, but Jesus knew the truth. He knew that they would forsake him. He knew that there would be no one there standing beside him. No one willing to suffer with him. But again, he does not scold them for thinking better of themselves than they ought to think. And this is what's fascinating to me. It's it's really, I think, helpful to me, and I don't know how to apply it yet. I don't know if I have the wisdom to apply it yet, but I'd like to. It is that he does not try to teach them something that he knows they will refuse to understand. See, he know, like he could correct them and say, guys, you don't know what you're talking about. You will not suffer and die. In fact, and, and later on, he'll tell them, hey, Peter, just so you know, the cocks and crow three times, you're going to, or before it crows, You will deny me three times. So later on, he tells them. But here, he doesn't say, you're wrong. He just kind of continues on. He doesn't try and correct them because he knows that they're not ready, not willing to understand that. And maybe if we could think of our interactions with people, sometimes we correct them on everything. And it's just not wise to do that. There are times that it's smart to correct somebody because you want to help them. And there are times that you let some things go because they're not ready for that lesson yet. And so he tells them, you will you will in fact suffer and die. And that is what's ahead for them. They're not ready for it yet, but someday they would be. But the seating arrangements are not up to me. And in Matthew it says, they're up to the Father. The Father will decide. And so let's pretend for a moment that we are there as one of the other disciples. And we've just heard James and John and their mom come to Jesus and ask for the best seats in the house. What are you thinking? What's going through your mind? What are your thoughts about James and John and their mom? I don't know. I I mean, I I don't think I'd like it. And so next verse, we're going to find out what the disciples thought. Verse 41. When the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Natural reaction. Much displeased is a formal way of saying that they were really teched. Super angry. In fact, this same word is used to describe how the scribes and the Pharisees felt toward Jesus when they, when he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people were worshiping him, saying, "Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is the one that comes in the name, the throne of the Father David." So this was a, like they were angry enough. So angry that the one that they wanted to put to death was being worshipped. That's how they responded. Here's how, the same way the disciples respond when they hear what these two guys do. So they're not thrilled. Now, the problem is this. Their displeasure is not in the fact that their friends have sinned against God. It's not some kind of righteous anger that they know that their friends just blew it. And they hate that that, that happened. Their displeasure is in the fact that their friends asked for something that they wanted for themselves. There's jealousy here. The the same heart that drove James and John to ask the question is the same heart that made these disciples respond the way that they did with this anger. And so now we see not only a heart of James and John and their mom, but also the hearts of the disciples. Verse 42. But Jesus called them to him. And said unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. And again, I think when I look at this, Jesus has reason to be upset with them. He has reason to scold them. But instead, he kindly calls them to himself. And he explains the difference between the world's kingdom, the world's system, and his kingdom. This is what it's like in the world you live. The rich and the powerful rule over the poor and the weak. Those with authority exercise authority over those who are vulnerable. See, this is the end of every man-made system. You're not going to come up with any kind of authority structure that won't eventually come to this. If God is not involved, then always the powerful will rule over those who are weak and those who are poor and those who who don't have power. That is how it has to work with man. That's our hearts. And it will always come down to that. But what Jesus is saying here is that that's not how it's supposed to be. And you notice he doesn't even say like, You guys shouldn't think that way. This is how you should behave. He actually says, it's not this way among you. In other words, this is not the reality for the Christian, even if you try and pretend it is. Even if you try and pretend to be like them, that's not how it is in the kingdom, period. So he tells them the plan for them. The plan is the person who is greatest, the one with riches and power and authority, will use what they have to serve the least. The mark of those who are great in the kingdom of God is evidenced by their willingness to serve everyone else. The chief shall be servant of all. And that literally in the Greek means the first shall be the slave to all. It is a 100% reversal of the world system. It takes the pyramid that we're used to and flips it on its head. He says, you see the servant cleaning off the other servant's boots? She's the greatest. You say, well, she's only 10 years old. She's filthy dirty, and she's from a poor family, a broken home, in fact. There's nothing good about her. He says, she's the greatest. That that boy, that man, that, that person that is so humble and unassuming, that person's the greatest. It's such a weird thing going to a country like the Dominican or Haiti, especially in Haiti, because you know that when everybody there is looking at you, especially when, when you're in the church setting and, and I'm there to like teach a class, then you know that they're looking at you like you're something special. And, I, and it's really hard to get across to them that like, I'm so not special, ask my church. <laughs> it's really hard to help them see that. But when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking like, This poor pastor who has absolutely nothing and and really like no way of, like he's got the word of God and he doesn't have all of these books and all of these abilities to study and he doesn't have all these resources that are so easily at our disposal that people like that who just humbly serve day in and day out, they're the greatest in the kingdom. It's, it's, It's the opposite of the way it is now, what we see. Jesus is saying something that sounds insane to them. That the least, the one who's willing to be the servant of all, that person is truly the greatest. Do you notice here he does not assume that they're going to change the world system? It's not like, and so you need to start like putting this in place here in Rome. What he assumes is that his followers will follow him. That in his kingdom and in his church, it'll be different here than the way it is in the world. And so now he finishes with a statement of purpose. And this, this truly might be the most succinct statement of purpose that we have in Scripture about why Jesus came. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is why Jesus The Son of Man came. And remember, the Son of Man is the veiled title that speaks to his humility and his humanity. But at the same time, it points back to what Daniel said about him. That he would be the king that would sit on the throne forever. That he deserves all glory and honor. That everybody forever will serve him. That all things were made by him and for him. And so this is the Son of Man. Why did he come? Why did this king come? but not for the reason that any other king ever comes. He came to minister, to serve. He came to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, what king comes to serve? Only Jesus. Only Jesus comes with 100% pure motives out of unselfish love for unworthy people. Only Jesus comes to give himself completely for those who have nothing to offer him. Only Jesus can forgive and heal and cleanse and make new. He is the only king, and that's why he's so worthy. And so, as we look at our story tonight, I just want to show you what I see. The first thing I see here is the ignorance and the pride of the disciples. They they didn't get the plan. They didn't see the bigger picture. The only thing that they were focused on is that Jesus is the Messiah, and that means he's the king, and I just want to be in a good place in his kingdom. And they weren't willing to listen to any of what he said his plan was. The reason for this, they were concerned with their own well-being, their own future, their comfort, their position. And I'm pretty sure this is natural to all of us, that we are concerned about our future, our comfort, our position, our well-being. So, if we can admit that this is natural to us, maybe we can learn something from them. As long as the disciples remained in this state, they could never be useful to the kingdom of God. Do you get that? That as long as they were living by the world system, and only concerned with the same things that the world around them was concerned with, they could never be ambassadors for another kingdom. Because you can't be an ambassador for a kingdom that your life is in conflict with. You can't be an effective Christian if you look nothing like Jesus. There's a a Scottish proverb that says, Pride and grace ne'er dwelt in one place. I think that's really helpful to remember. There, There is a place for the Christian in the kingdom of God. But the only way into that place is through grace. And the only way to grace is humility and faith. And if we don't get to the place where we've humbled ourselves, we never get to experience what grace really is. How grace transforms us and changes us. And that's what we need more than anything else. This selfishness is so common. And, and, and we see it everywhere in the world. But I'm saying it's common even in the church. But that same selfishness is foreign to the kingdom of God. It's a pride. that longs for recognition. It longs for others to serve us. And it does not suit the one who made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The one who willingly went to die on a cross. And so here in the disciples, we see the epitome of selfish ambition. And so we see that. But I think at the same time in this story, we also see the perfect example of our Savior. He is the apex of servitude and selflessness. He gives himself, he serves, and then he gives his life. This entire lesson that we're meant to learn is perfectly exemplified by Christ here. Here is a king who is looking forward to his humiliation and death by crucifixion. And he's willingly walking toward it. Because he loves sinners. And here we have his sinful creatures asking for exaltation and enthronement. We are meant to follow Christ. We are meant to see the humility and the selflessness of our Savior. And then to try and be like him. Can you imagine the one who spoke the world into existence? Now going to hang on a tree he created? being nailed to it by hands he created? Can you imagine that, that the ability to breathe that he gave to each of those people who are now mocking him with every breath? this is what Christ this is what Christ did at any moment he calls a stop to it. like the humility here is beyond anything we can begin to comprehend. And so the one who is exalted above all angels, who speaks worlds into existence, is now willingly dying on a cross, walking toward that, then how could we as his followers ever lift ourselves up? How could we ever try and be something for ourselves? We ought to see our call to humble, selfless service. In that moment, James and John certainly did not get it. But the good news is Jesus gave them time to get it. Right? He actually even knew that eventually they would. And so in Acts chapter 12 verse 2, James is the first apostle to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And then later on when John is a very old man, he's tortured and then exiled onto the Isle of Patmos. Both of those men would suffer for the cause of Christ. Both of them eventually were baptized with the baptism that Christ was baptized with. But they needed to get it. And when they got it, they could be useful for the kingdom of God. And so the call tonight is to to get it. Is to see this humility that we're meant to have as Christians. We are are so prone to look at ourselves and, and to look at other people only through the eyes of men. Now I want you to think of me well. And I want you to... To serve me. And I'm going to look at you based on your talents and your abilities and your looks. And all all the things that, that are obvious to my eyes. And maybe we'd be better off if we began to look at people through the way God does. To have a right estimate of ourselves and others as God sees them. God is looking at people who are humble. One of the stories that I love in the Bible is when the sinful woman comes in to a room full of religious, righteous men. And they're all dressed to the hilt and they're all doing everything right all the time. These are the guys who everybody in Israel respects. And Jesus is in the room. And she falls on the ground and she's weeping and wailing and pours oil on his feet. And she washes her feet, his feet with the oil and her tears. The humility involved in that. And the love that she was pouring out, willing to humiliate herself in front of all these men who are gawking at her, laughing at her, thinking that this is ridiculous. And then the way you see Jesus respond. None of those guys got it. And they were all elevated in this world. The only one that got it was the one on her face before the king. Pouring out everything she had all of her tears, all of her wealth at his feet. And so, what kind of people are we going to be? It closes with Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 and 2. It says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been says the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for your word that is constantly reminding us that your kingdom is different than this world we live. And Lord, we need to be reminded of that all the time. We are just um, so enthralled in the world, we're so in awe, um, obsessed with, we, we love so much what's going on around us and the systems that are there and the comfort that it provides, and God, I pray that you would wake us up a bit. I pray that you would help us to see um, what our sa- who our Savior was and what he endured and, and the life that he's called us to, that it's a life of humility, a life of sacrifice, a life of service. And that that if we are truly followers of Christ, we need to be ready for that. Ready to be baptized with what he was baptized with. God, I pray that you would help us be better, more humble servants of our king. Thank you, Lord. Love you.